Section 19 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4 by James Boswell, Section 19. The Reverend Mr. Wilson, having dedicated to him his archaeological dictionary, that mark of respect was thus acknowledged. Footnote. Dr. Patton, in September 1781, informed Johnson of Wilson's intended dedication. Johnson, in his reply, said, What will the world do but look on and laugh when one scholar dedicates to another? End of footnote. To the Reverend Mr. Wilson, Clitheroe, Lancashire. Reverend Sir, that I have long omitted to return you thanks for the honour conferred upon me by your dedication, I entreat you with great earnestness not to consider as more faulty than it is. A very importunate and oppressive disorder has for some time debarred me from the pleasures and obstructed me in the duties of life. The esteem and kindness of wise and good men is one of the last pleasures which I can be content to lose, and gratitude to those from whom this pleasure is received is a duty of which I hope never to be reproached with the final neglect. I therefore now return you thanks for the notice which I have received from you, and which I consider as giving to my name not only more bulk, but more weight, not only as extending its superficies, but as increasing its value. Your book was evidently wanted, and will, I hope, find its way into the school, to which, however, I do not mean to confine it, for no man has so much skill in ancient rites and practices as not to want it. As I suppose myself to owe part of your kindness to my excellent friend Dr. Patton, he has likewise a just claim to my acknowledgments, which I hope you, sir, will transmit. There will soon appear a new edition of my poetical biography. If you will accept of a copy to keep me in your mind, be pleased to let me know how it may be conveniently conveyed to you. The present is small, but it is given with good will by Reverend Sir, your most, etc., Samuel Johnson, December the 31st, 1782. Footnote. On the same day he wrote to Dr. Taylor, This, my dear sir, is the last day of a very sickly and melancholy year. Join your prayers with mine, that the next may be more happy to us both. I hope the happiness which I have not found in this world will, by infinite mercy, be granted in another. End of footnote. In 1783 he was more severely afflicted than ever, as will appear in the course of his correspondence. But still the same ardour for literature, the same constant piety, the same kindness for his friends, and the same vivacity both in conversation and writing distinguished him. Footnote. Reader's note, Miss Burney. 
January the 4th, 1783. Dr. Johnson came so very late that we had all given him up. He was very ill, and only from an extreme of kindness did he come at all. When I went up to him to tell how sorry I was to find him so unwell, Ah, he cried, taking my hand and kissing it, who shall ail anything when Cecilia is so near? Yet you do not think how poorly I am. All dinner time he hardly opened his mouth but to repeat to me, Ah, oh, you little know how ill I am. He was excessively kind to me in spite of all his pain. Cecilia was the name of her second novel. On January the 10th he thus ended a letter to Mr. Nichols. Now I will put you in a way of showing me more kindness. I have been confined by illness sick a long time, and sickness and solitude make tedious evenings. Come sometimes and see, sir, your humble servant Samuel Johnson. Manuscript in the British Museum, end of footnote. Having given Dr. Johnson a full account of what I was doing at Affleck, and particularly mentioned what I knew would please him, my having brought an old man of eighty-eight from a lonely cottage to a comfortable habitation within my enclosures, where he had good neighbours near to him, I received an answer in February, of which I extract what follows. I am delighted with your account of your activity at Affleck, and wish the old gentleman, whom you have so kindly removed, may live long to promote your prosperity by his prayers. You have now a new character and new duties. Think on them and practice them. Make an impartial estimate of your revenue, and whatever it is, live upon less. Resolve never to be poor. Frugality is not only the basis of quiet, but of beneficence. No man can help others that wants help himself. We must have enough before we have to spare. I am glad to find that Mrs. Boswell grows well, and hope that to keep her well no care or caution will be omitted. May you long live happily together. When you come hither, pray bring with you Baxter's Anacreon. I cannot get that edition in London. Footnote. Dr. Johnson found here, in square brackets, at Affleck, Baxter's Anacreon, which he told me he had long inquired for in vain, and began to suspect there was no such book. End of footnote. On Friday, March the 31st, having arrived in London the night before, I was glad to find him at Mrs. Thrale's house in Argyle Street, appearances of friendship between them being still kept up. I was shown into his room, and after the first salutation he said, I am glad you are come, I am very ill. He looked pale and was distressed with the difficulty of breathing, but after the common inquiries he assumed his usual strong, animated style of conversation. 
seeing me now for the first time as a laird or proprietor of land he began thus sir the superiority of a country gentleman over the people upon his estate is very agreeable and he who says he does not feel it to be agreeable lies for it must be agreeable to have a casual superiority over those who are by nature equal with us footnote readers note francis bacon the delight which men have in popularity fame honour submission and subjection of other men's minds wills or affections although these things may be desired for other ends seemeth to be a thing in itself without contemplation of consequence grateful and agreeable to the nature of man End of footnote. boswell yet sir we see great proprietors of land who prefer living in london johnson why sir the pleasure of living in london the intellectual superiority that is enjoyed there may counterbalance the other besides sir a man may prefer the state of the country gentleman upon the whole and yet there may never be a moment when he is willing to make the change to quit london for it he said it is better to have five per cent out of land than out of money because it is more secure but the readiness of transfer and promptness of interest make many people rather choose the funds nay there is another disadvantage belonging to land compared with money a man is not so much afraid of being a hard creditor as of being a hard landlord boswell because there is a sort of kindly connection between a landlord and his tenants johnson no sir many landlords with us never see their tenants it is because if a landlord drives away his tenants he may not get others whereas the demand for money is so great it may always be lent he talked with regret and indignation of the factious opposition to government at this time and imputed it in a great measure to the revolution Footnote. in a letter to dr taylor on january the twenty first of this year he attacked the scheme of equal representation pitt on may the seventh seventeen eighty two made his first reform motion johnson thus ended his letter if the scheme were more reasonable this is not a time for innovation i am afraid of a civil war the business of every wise man seems to be now to keep his ground End of footnote. sir said he in a low voice having come nearer to me while his old prejudices seemed to be fermenting in his mind this hanoverian family is isole here they have no friends now the stuarts had friends who stuck by them so late as seventeen forty five when the right of the king is not reverenced there will not be reverence for those appointed by the king 
his observation that the present royal family has no friends has been too much justified by the very ungrateful behaviour of many who are under great obligations to his majesty at the same time there are honourable exceptions and the very next year after this conversation and ever since the king has had as extensive and generous support as ever was given to any monarch and has had the satisfaction of knowing that he was more and more endeared to his people Footnote. the year after this conversation the general election of seventeen eighty four was held which followed on the overthrow of the coalition ministry and the formation of the pitt ministry in december seventeen eighty three the king's friends were in a minority of one in the last great division in the old parliament in the motion on the address in the new parliament they had a majority of one hundred and sixty eight miss burney writing in november seventeen eighty eight when the king was mad says that one of his positions moved me even to tears by telling me that none of their own lives would be safe if the king did not recover so prodigiously high ran the tide of affection and loyalty all the physicians received threatening letters daily to answer for the safety of their monarch with their lives sir george baker had already been stopped in his carriage by the mob to give an account of the king and when he said it was a bad one they had furiously exclaimed the more shame for you describing in seventeen eighty nine a royal tour in the west of england she writes of the crowds the rejoicings the hallooing and singing and garlanding and decorating of all the inhabitants of this old city in square brackets exeter and of all the country through which we passed End of footnote. he repeated to me his verses on mr levitt with an emotion which gave them full effect footnote. miss palmer sir joshua's niece heard dr johnson repeat these verses with the tears falling over his cheek End of footnote. and then he was pleased to say you must be as much with me as you can you have done me good you cannot think how much better i am since you came in he sent a message to acquaint mrs thrale that i was arrived i had not seen her since her husband's death she soon appeared and favoured me with an invitation to stay to dinner which i accepted there was no other company but herself and three of her daughters dr johnson and i she too said she was very glad i was come for she was going to bath and should have been sorry to leave dr johnson before i came this seemed to be attentive and kind and i who had not been informed of any change imagined all to be as well as formerly he was a little inclined to talk at dinner and went to sleep after it but when he joined us in the drawing-room he seemed revived and was again himself talking of conversation he said there must in the first place be knowledge there must be materials 
in the second place there must be a command of words in the third place there must be imagination to place things in such views as they are not commonly seen in and in the fourth place there must be presence of mind and a resolution that is not to be overcome by failures this last is an essential requisite for want of it many people do not excel in conversation now i want it i throw up the game upon losing a trick i wondered to hear him talk thus of himself and said i don't know sir how this may be but i am sure you beat other people's cards out of their hands i doubt whether he heard this remark while he went on talking triumphantly i was fixed in admiration and said to mrs thrale oh for shorthand to take this down you'll carry it all in your head said she a long head is as good as shorthand it has been observed and wondered at that mr charles fox never talked with any freedom in the presence of dr johnson though it is well known and i myself can witness that his conversation is various fluent and exceedingly agreeable Footnote. gibbon remarked that mr fox was certainly very shy of saying anything in johnson's presence End of footnote. johnson's own experience however of that gentleman's reserve was a sufficient reason for his going on thus fox never talks in private company not from any determination not to talk but because he has not the first motion Footnote. mr greville records the following on the authority of lord holland johnson liked fox because he defended his pension and said it was only to blame in not being large enough fox he said is a liberal man he would always be out kaiser out nullus whenever i have seen him he has been nullus lord holland said fox made it a rule never to talk in johnson's presence because he knew all his conversations were recorded for publication and he did not choose to figure in them fox could not have known what was not the fact when boswell was by he had reason for his silence but otherwise he might have spoken out mr fox writes mackintosh united in a most remarkable degree the seemingly repugnant characters of the mildest of men and the most vehement of orators in private life he was so averse from parade and dogmatism as to be somewhat inactive in conversation gibbon tells how fox spent a day with him at lausanne perhaps it never can happen again that i should enjoy him as i did that day alone from ten in the morning till ten at night our conversation never flagged a moment in london mixed society said rogers fox conversed little but at his own house in the country with his intimate friends he could talk on forever with all the openness and simplicity of a child End of footnote. 
a man who is used to the applause of the house of commons has no wish for that of a private company a man accustomed to throw for a thousand pounds if set down to throw for sixpence would not be at the pains to count his dice burke's talk is the ebullition of his mind he does not talk from a desire of distinction but because his mind is full he thus curiously characterized one of our old acquaintance footnote most likely old mr sheridan End of footnote. blank blank is a good man sir but he is a vain man and a liar he however only tells lies of vanity of victories for instance in conversation which never happened this alluded to a story which i had repeated from that gentleman to entertain johnson with its wild bravado this johnson sir said he whom you are all afraid of will shrink if you come close to him in argument and roar as loud as he he once maintained the paradox that there is no beauty but in utility sir said i what say you to the peacock's tail which is one of the most beautiful objects in nature but would have as much utility if its feathers were all of one colour he felt what i thus produced and had recourse to his usual expedient ridicule exclaiming a peacock has a tail and a fox has a tail and then he burst out into a laugh well sir said i with a strong voice looking him full in the face you have unkennelled your fox pursue him if you dare he had not a word to say sir johnson told me that this was a fiction from beginning to end footnote were i to insert all the stories which have been told of contests boldly maintained with him imaginary victories obtained over him of reducing him to silence and of making him own that his antagonist had the better of him in argument my volumes would swell to an immoderate size one instance i find has circulated both in conversation and in print that when he would not allow the scotch writers to have merit the late dr rose of chiswick asserted that he could name one scotch writer whom johnson himself would allow to have written better than any man of the age and upon johnson's asking who it was answered lord bute when he signed the warrant for your pension upon which johnson struck with the repartee acknowledged that this was true when i mentioned it to johnson sir said he if rose said this i never heard it boswell end of after musing for some time he said i wonder how i should have any enemies for i do harm to nobody footnote. this reflection was very natural in a man of a good heart who was not conscious of any ill-will to mankind 
though the sharp sayings which were sometimes produced by his discrimination and vivacity which he perhaps did not recollect were i am afraid too often remembered with resentment boswell when three months later on he was struck with palsy he wrote to mrs thrale i have in this still scene of life great comfort in reflecting that i have given very few reason to hate me i hope scarcely any man has known me closely but for his benefit or cursorily but to his innocent entertainment tell me you that know me best whether this be true that according to your answer i may continue my practice or try to mend it passages such as the two following might have shown him why he had enemies for roughness it is a needless cause of discontent severity breedeth fear but roughness breedeth hate bacon's essays number eleven tis possible that men may be as oppressive by their parts as their power End of footnote. Boswell. in the first place sir you will be pleased to recollect that you set out with attacking the scotch so you got a whole nation for your enemies johnson why i own that by my definition of oats i meant to vex them Footnote. a grain which in england is generally given to horses but in scotland supports the people stockdale records that he heard a scotch lady after quoting this definition say to johnson i can assure you that in scotland we give oats to our horses as well as you do to yours in england he replied i am very glad madam to find that you treat your horses as well as you treat yourselves End of boswell pray sir can you trace the cause of your antipathy to the scotch johnson i cannot sir footnote sir joshua reynolds wrote the prejudices he had to countries did not extend to individuals the chief prejudice in which he indulged himself was against scotland though he had the most cordial friendship with individuals this he used to vindicate as a duty against the irish he entertained no prejudice he thought they united themselves very well with us but the scotch when in england united and made a party by employing only scotch servants and scotch tradesmen he held it right for englishmen to oppose a party against them End of footnote. boswell old mr sheridan says it was because they sold charles the first johnson then sir old mr sheridan has found out a very good reason surely the most obstinate and sulky nationality the most determined aversion to this great and good man must be cured when he is seen thus playing with one of his prejudices of which he candidly admitted that he could not tell the reason it was however probably owing to his having had in his view 
the worst part of the scottish nation the needy adventurers many of whom he thought were advanced above their merits by means which he did not approve had he in his early life been in scotland and seen the worthy sensible independent gentlemen who live rationally and hospitably at home he never could have entertained such unfavourable and unjust notions of his fellow-subjects and accordingly we find that when he did visit scotland in the latter period of his life he was fully sensible of all that it deserved as i have already pointed out when speaking of his journey to the western islands next day saturday march the twenty second i found him still at mrs thrale's but he told me that he was to go to his own house in the afternoon Footnote. mrs piozzi says that dr johnson commonly spending the middle of the week at our house kept his numerous family in fleet street upon a settled allowance but returned to them every saturday to give them three good dinners and his company before he came back to us on the monday night End of footnote. he was better but i perceived he was but an unruly patient for sir lucas pepys who visited him while i was with him said if you are tractable sir i should prescribe for you i related to him a remark which a respectable friend had made to me upon the then state of government when those who had been long in opposition had attained to power as it was supposed against the inclination of the sovereign Footnote. lord north's ministry lasted from seventeen seventy to march seventeen eighty two it was followed by the Rockingham Ministry and the Shelburne Ministry, which in its turn was at this very time giving way to the Coalition Ministry, to be followed very soon by the Pitt Ministry. End of footnote. You need not be uneasy, said this gentleman about the King. He laughs at them all. He plays them one against another. Johnson. Don't think so, sir the king is as much oppressed as a man can be if he plays them one against another he wins nothing End of section 19.